Good morning, good morning to all, and welcome back to another installment of Living with Emuna, where we are all working on ourselves to live every day with a sense of Emuna, and to not uh, think that we're in charge, we're in control, to not be filled with the panic, the anxiety, the worry, the envy, the arrogance, but instead to live each and every moment of our lives, to feel Hashem's guiding hand on our shoulder, His hug, to feel His presence and His love, to believe that we can and we will one day make sense of everything and all that happens. I want to thank our friends, Dr. Avi and Bella Morgan, who sponsored the Amuna series for the year, Lezecher Nishmas, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabit, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvain Nasan, who we know lived a life of Amuna. I'm happy to say that yesterday the Gabit celebrated two simchas, and there is no doubt that Brian is smiling down from Shemayim. A mazel tov, his daughter Shoshana had a baby boy which is a great, great bracha. Hopefully will bring great nechama and comfort to the family. And his son Sender got engaged, two simchas on one day. And Amir Tzashem Legeva should only celebrate simchas. Also a big thank you to our dear friends, Dr. Aaron and Yvette Kaublum, who sponsored this morning's particular shir in commemoration of the Yeret site of Yvette's mother, Mana Shlasel, Zichronel of Rachaus, Neshama Shadavan Aliyah, Yvette and Aaron's incredible work in our community. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for your sponsorship this morning. We continue with our study of Ravita Mar Schwartz, the Belvavi's essay, Does Bischonecha Know Your Bitachon? And we've been defining now for many, many months the notion of Bitachon, that to live a life of faith means to not see the battles, the struggles, the tension, to not wake up every day and feel a sense of conflict which of course exists in the external superficial sense of selves, but to be able to actualize and realize, to be able to access the internal godliness within us, and therefore to look at the world as operating in harmony, to see the peace and the serenity, to know that there's a purpose and a meaning to all that happens around us. And we've been repeating each and every week, in fact, for many years, living with Amuna has basically been the same class, now 175 times in a row, which is, don't panic and don't be nervous or anxious and don't get angry. Take that deep breath and realize, let go and let Hashem, there is one above, put our trust and faith in Him and realize that after we've done all that we can and we've taken the initiative that we can, it is in His hands and it's up to Him. So we're living in these two worlds simultaneously and Schwartz has been careful to emphasize over and over that these worlds, it's not that one is true and one is a lie. It's not that one is authentic and one is counterfeit. They're both true simultaneously. It is true that around us is a world filled with tension and doubt and uncertainty and conflict and challenge and challenge constantly, whether it's challenges in insignificant, negligible ways, like fighting the battle for the corn chips, or whether it's much more meaningful challenges, like a person gets bad news, or suffers, suffers loss, or suffers something terrible, and needs to find a way to persevere nonetheless. So we battle every day, and that is a true world that we are living in. But we can let that define and inform who we are. We can let that capture our emotions, our attitude, our philosophy, our mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, or... We can live in that world and fight those battles because they are real. And nevertheless, the true us is the internal sense of self. The true us is the one with the bitachon, the betach bashem, the one who says, I walk into the city, betach. I have a confidence and a calmness because I know that whatever turns out and however it works out, it is the way it is meant to be. My daughter, Mitzvah Shem, is getting married August 4th now in New York. And we have to quarantine in New York for two weeks before we can see anyone or celebrate a wedding. So Amir Tzashem, Bali Ayan Hara, with Hashem's help, we're going to try to go to New York at the end of next week. And we found a home and we are going to lock ourselves in. And we are going to have two weeks of Quarantora, where all the Shiurim will come on Zoom from Quarantora, from our quarantine in New York. But now we're nervous. 
What happens, God forbid, if one of us catch it before next week? How do we travel? We don't have it. Please, God, we won't catch it. Nobody should be nervous. Amir Tzashem. So you can either panic and worry, and you could say what will be, or you could say, I'm going to take all the precautions, follow all the guidelines. I'm going to be as careful as I can be, and then at the end I have to let go. I have to let Hashem. Externally, there's a lot of calculations. Do we go out, and who do we see, and how do we operate? But internally, you say, I do the best I can, and the rest is up to Hashem. He's got a master plan. I can be confident and I can be calm. I don't have to panic, I don't have to worry, and I don't have to fear because, and again, I'm just giving you, every one of us, we can turn the sound on. I could take you off mute and I'm sure we can go one by one on Zoom, on Facebook, on YouTube, on all the different platforms that we're learning together right now. And I'm sure every one of us could describe what they're going through in their lives, that they are struggling or panicking, and how they nonetheless have to persevere and remember to let go and let God. Remember to say, I'll do the best I can. And after that, what am I going to be anxious and worried? What am I going to have sleepless nights? Is that going to actually change anything? All it will do is make things worse. In fact, the worry and anxiety will lower your immune system and make you more vulnerable and susceptible to the very thing that you're so worried you're going to get. So it is counterproductive. It actually exposes you and makes more more vulnerable to exactly what you're trying to avoid. It makes no sense. It's illogical. Rather, rather, we have to work on, we have to constantly work on, we have to on a regular basis work on doing all that we can doesn't mean we could cop out, take the easy way out or the lazy way out and not do what we have to do. We have to take our initiative. We have to make our effort. We have to be partners with Hashem. But once we've done our part and once we've done all we can, we've planned, we put the guidelines in place and we're operating at the best we can, at that point it's time to let go and to let Hashem. I saw something very interesting, very beautiful. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson in his Dvar Torah last Shabbos, he quoted the Austrian-British philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. Anyone ever hear of him? Ludwig Wittgenstein? He lived 1889 to 1951. I'd never heard of him. Not that I am so steeped in philosophy. He's considered by many to be one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. And he once said that his aim, the aim of a philosopher is, quote, to show the fly the way out of the bottle. To show the fly the way out of the bottle. I read the quote and I said, what does that mean? So Rabbi Waiwai explains what it means is, you ever see a fly caught in a bottle? It is flying around, banging against the walls, the bottom of the bottle. It just keeps banging its head against the glass in vain, attempting to get out. And the more it tries, the more it fails, until it drops on exhaustion and maybe even worse. And the one thing it forgets to do is look up to the sky, because if it looked up to the sky, it would find the opening and it would find the way out. And he said that's his mission as a philosopher, to show the fly the way out of the bottle. We are living our lives and we're banging our head against the wall. We're banging our head against the walls of the bottle. And we're trying to get out. We're trying to get out of this place of doubt and uncertainty, the place of panic and anxiety. And how are we trying to get out? By banging our heads against the bottle. But if only we'd look up, we'd see the opening. If only we'd look up, we'd see the way out. If only we'd look up towards the heavens, towards the sky. We would know we could stop banging our head against the wall and we'd find the way, we'd find the way forward. Such a beautiful depiction, I found it fantastic. The image of the fly banging its head in the bottle, if only we'd look up towards the sky, we'd find the way out, and that is the way so many of us are living our lives. We're banging our head against the bottle, and we are literally injuring ourselves, emotionally, spiritually, physically. We're injuring ourselves, we're harming ourselves by banging our head against the wall, by thinking it's up to us, by trying to get answers to questions that have no answers. And instead, we look up towards the sky, we'll find that opening, we could find our way out. Okay, continuing in this essay, the never-ending, constantly giving bracha called this essay. 
of Rav Schwartz. And he says the following. We live in both these worlds simultaneously. We're operating in the physical world. And there's something called a virus. And it is, there's something called spread and contagion. And there are decisions that have to be made and planning that has to be done. And we're living in a world in which there are external forces. There are temptations in the world of food and wellness. There are temptations in the world of honesty and integrity. There are temptations in the world of immorality and promiscuity. There are temptations in the world of gossip and slander. There are temptations in the world of laziness and procrastination. There are no shortages of areas of our life where we're battling from the moment we wake up until we fall asleep. But we also have that internal voice, that sense of self, that calmness, that confidence, that godliness. And the question is, which defines us? Which one are we really? Or put differently, and again, I've repeated this a million times, and I'll tell you now, I'm going to repeat it a million more. If you don't want to hear it, don't sign on. And that is, you could look at yourself and you can define yourself as, I am a body and I have a soul. If you ask most people, they'll say, who am I? I'm the one you see in the mirror. Who am I? The one who goes for the mani-pedi, the one who gets their hair done. Who am I? The one who f tries to keep up with the style and the fashion and the fad. Who am I? The one who goes to the adjustment at the chiropractor and the massage. Who am I? The one who enjoys the delicious food. Who am I? What I see in the mirror and what my lab report comes back with. That's who I am. Oh yeah, also, I heard in shul once from a rabbi that I have a soul. I'm a body, and I also heard once that, I think I read it somewhere, that I have a soul. I don't know what it means. I've never been in contact with it. It's never been nourished. It's never been alive. I don't know what it means, but I read it somewhere. I heard it once. That's not the Jewish way of life. That's not our philosophy or our approach. It's in fact exactly the opposite. Yeah, I have a body. It needs to be taken care of, and it can even be pampered. There's no reason not to indulge. It can enjoy the pleasures of this world, but it should never define who I am. Who am I? I am a soul. I am a soul. Oh yeah, I also think I once saw in a mirror that I have a body. Who am I at my core? What is my essence? I'm an ashama, I'm a soul. My memories, my experiences, my conversations, my relationships, my aspirations, my ambition, my godliness, my sense of discipline, my yearning for truth, for holiness, for purpose, for meaning. That's who I am. I am a soul. Oh yeah, I once passed a mirror and I noticed that I also have a body. Confusing the soul and the body is as foolish as confusing your clothing with who you are. Your clothing you put on in the morning and you take off at night, and while you might enjoy nice clothing, and you might indulge in fashion or fad or comfort or custom-made, but you never confuse it with who you are. You take off, you shed that clothing at night. While our body we put on when we were born, the soul was put into the body. And at the end of 120 years, we will shed the body like a person disrobes, like they take off their clothing after 120. And it is as foolish to think that the body is who we are as it would be to think that the clothing is part organically of who we are. We are a soul that has a body. We are not a body that has a soul. As I said, I've said it so many times and I'll continue to say it until we believe it, until we live it, until we know it. Because it is so critical, so critical to be able to live a life of bitachon and amuna. So where did we go wrong, Esther of Schwartz? Why is this so hard? Why is once a week living with Amuna not enough? It's not enough. Because in between every Wednesday morning, we forget. On Wednesdays, we reinforce for ourselves. We have our support group and we remember, oh yeah, let go, let God. What do you panic? What do you worry? Do your best and after that, it's up to Him. There's meaning, there's purpose, there's order, there's a reason. Let go. And that carries us till, let's say, class is 8.45 to 9.20, 9.30. By 10 a.m., we're back to where we were. 
It's so hard. It's so hard to remember. When you see the news or the data, when you hear what's going on around us, when you worry, when you're filled with anxiousness or you're tempted towards anger, it's so hard. Why is it so hard? And what is the strategy to overcome it? So Baruch Hashem of Schwartz helps us. How do we get out? Right? We, we look up and we see the opening in the bottle, we see the sky, and then instead of flying through it, or even if we've escaped it, we go back in the bottle and bang our head against the walls once again. Why? The answer to it is very simple. I spoke about it last night. We started a new series on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. You can listen to it on Torah or RabbiFromGobri.org about the best version of you. And we spoke about mindfulness. You cannot be the best version of you if you cannot control your thoughts. If you are not present in your thinking, your strategy, your decision-making. If you are somebody who just impulsively, compulsively does whatever you want, follows whatever you feel, that's a world of addiction. It's a world of, of compulsion. You simply say what comes to your mind, you eat what comes to your appetite, you go and you do and you look at what you want to do in that moment and you never stop and think. There's no self-awareness. There's never introspection or reflection. There's never margin or space to stop and think and say, what is the wisdom of this? And what will be the outcome of this? And will this harm me? Or is this good for me? How will it be responded to? And how will it land? And what's right? We need to think. It is a lost art in our time and our age. There's too much noise and too much interference and too much static that we don't have the ability to stop and to think. To stop and to think. I once attended Kellogg Management School for a month for an executive seminar. And one of the people who presented to us was the CEO of a company that had literally 100,000 employees. And he described to us that he has on his schedule, actually at the time, to go outside to his car and to leave his phone in his office and to stop and to think. He had it in his schedule, thinking time, thinking time, thinking time. Anyone have that in their Outlook or Google Calendar? Time to think, to put their phone on airplane mode, to disconnect, to actual schedule time to think. It could be while going for a walk, or it could be with a drive in silence, or it could be sitting in your home, quarantora, quarantining. It could be just sitting and thinking. Sitting and thinking. What are the problems? What are the dilemmas you're trying to think through? What are the calming that you're trying to do for yourself? How do you want to reorient or recalibrate where you're feeling emotionally, intellectually, spiritually? Time to think. Machshava v'hizboninus. We are running at such a rat race. And even in the world that slowed us down, this pandemic, we're still operating in hyper-super speed. And we don't have time to think. There's so much noise, there's so much interference, media, social media, news. We don't have time to think, to be mindful, to be present, to be contemplative, to be reflective. So how are you going to have breakthrough? How are you going to have breakthrough? How are we going to reorient? How are we going to do a paradigm shift in our thinking if we don't have time or the ability to stop and to think? My friend Lenny shares that doctors are showing practicing mindfulness wards off Alzheimer's disease, dementia, mental sl- uh, slowing down mentally, is mindfulness, which makes a lot of sense. If you don't use your mind, you're going to use, lose it. Now, I don't mean using your mind because we still are you know, working or having conversations or debating politics in echo chambers. I don't really consider that using our minds. It's more using our mouths. It's using our reaction time. Using our minds is stopping to think, processing calibrating. 
the beginning of the solution, the beginning of the of the treatment, the beginning of the medicine that we have to take in order to recalibrate and reorient, in order to be able to live the lives that we want to be living, the calmness, the serenity, the confidence, it begins with thoughtfulness and presence of mind. You find quiet and peace and you enter your inner world. Have you ever been there before? Do you know how to get in there? Do you know what it looks like or sounds like or feels like? Can you be comfortable there or is it so uncomfortable? Is it so uncomfortable? I've spoken about and written about the time that I had a friend who was trying to help me overcome technology addiction. And when I went to see him, he took my technology and importantly, he went through the ritual, the visual ritual of locking my technology in a briefcase and denying me access to it for the day that I'd be with him. And at first it was like he asked for my kidneys and my liver and my heart and to lock it away and to deny me access to it. But by the end, it's literally like going cold turkey on an addiction. You can't enter your own world if there's something buzzing and beeping and vibrating in your pocket or, or you're just tempted to check the notifications and look, what am I missing with a sense of FOMO? How do you get into that world? How do you get into that inner place and inner space? How do you feel comfortable once you're there? How do you hear your neshama talking to you, listening to you? How do you get there and how do you learn from it? Rav Nachman had an idea Rav Dov Zinger brings it down, someone who was our guest earlier this year. You know, we talk to Hashem with davening, but Hashem answers us also sometimes with his bodidus and his boninus, with self-reflection and meditation. What do I mean by that? We all have the tzelem elokim within us. We have godliness within us. We not only believe in God, we believe in the God within ourselves. So sometimes when God is trying to speak to us, he's saying, how can you listen to me? By listening to yourself, your inner voice. Turn off the noise, turn off the static, turn off the interference, and listen to your neshama, listen to your pintalayid, listen to your conscience, listen to, listen to your boich, listen to what it's telling you. I'm speaking to you from within you, but there's so much noise and so much Netflix and so much going on, how are you going to hear it? Shut down, disconnect, schedule time, be mindful, and spend, and, and schedule time to simply be lost in your own thoughts, to listen to Hashem talking to you, through you, through you. person sits b'shek of his bonein, hu mizazeya v'roakikayim b'koach haboteach, l'achamikein hu nidras l'achor. So what happens when you sit in the quiet and you try to get into that place and you try to listen to yourself, kayim b'koach haboteach, you realize, I have the capacity for trust. I have the capacity for calm. We've redefined bitachon. Boteach doesn't just mean faith, as in a leap of faith or a blind faith. Boteach means I have calmness and I have confidence. So you begin by saying, where's my calmness and where's my confidence? Maybe I believe in Dr. Fauci. Maybe I believe in the stock market. Maybe I believe in what I'm reading. Maybe I believe in myself. I have self-confidence. You first acknowledge the notion of the capacity for confidence and calmness. What do I believe in? Who do I believe in? Is there an expert? Is there a powerful person? Is there a personality? Is there something, someone around me that I have trust in, that I can put faith in, that I have confidence in, and therefore I feel a calmness from? And when we create that foundation, that nugget, that seed, when we can really let go and submit to a notion of confidence and calmness in something else, then now we can begin to expand upon that. Now we can build upon it. Where does that come from? Where does it come from, my ability and my capacity to have calmness and confidence? 
Where does that come from? How do I generate that? What does it feel like? So for example, I finished my cup of coffee. Let's go back to that example where a person says, I have a cup, I have a bucket, I have a pail, I have a mug of coffee, of water. And you say to yourself, okay, I'd like to lift it up. I'm going to make a cup of coffee and I'm going to drink it. Am I confident I can get it done? Some of you men I see are not even confident you can make a cup of coffee. But most people should be confident they can make a cup of coffee. Do I have a confidence I can make the cup of coffee? Yes. Am I confident I can lift it to my mouth and not spill it all over my shirt and tie? I hope so. At this stage of my life, I hope I have enough strength and agility. I hope I have enough balance in my hand that I could take the cup to my mouth and not spill it all over and not burn myself and not burn myself terribly. So, where does that come from? Where does that come from that I believe that I can lift the cup, that I can make the cup of coffee, that I can enjoy it and not spill it on my face? How do I know nobody will bump into me or somebody won't get it before me? How do I know that I can hold on and it won't slip out? Maybe my hand will recoil from the heat. Maybe it will be slippery from condensation. How do I know I can lift my hand? What if my brain is giving instructions to my arm but the muscles are not listening? The joints are not functioning. How do I know there won't spring a hole in the bottom of the cup and it won't leak everywhere? So you sit there. Here's, here's a thought. You ready? Here's the exercise for everybody. Here's your exercise. Do it today. You have until next Wednesday. The exercise is to take that cup of coffee and to ask yourself all those questions. How do I know it won't slip? How do I know it won't spring a hole? How do I know it won't burn my mouth? How do I know I won't spill it? How do I know my muscles and my joints will be able to lift it? Mi Amar. Who says, who says, who says? This doesn't sound like a very smart exercise for a group working on Bitachon, but the exercise is to ask yourself, Mi Amar. How do I know? Maybe everything will go wrong. Let me imagine everything go wrong, and let me ask myself, Mi Amar, who said it will go right? What I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to collect every voice or thought of opposition, of obstacle, of, of friction that I can imagine that can make this go wrong. And what is the sum total? What is the result? If I can imagine and I can write out a list of everything that could go wrong, every reason this won't go right, every obstacle, every friction, every tension, every battle that I'm facing in order to lift a cup of coffee to my lips and for it to go right, what will I realize as a result? I will realize as a result, is it guaranteed? Is it guaranteed? Is it guaranteed I can lift the cup of coffee and drink it safely? Kigam following. I don't have confidence. All the things that have to happen in the natural order have to happen. Naturally, at my age and my good health and my athleticism, I should be able to lift a cup of coffee. Naturally. Naturally, there's nothing about the cup of coffee. The cup is manufactured. It looks like it's made well. 
Dixie Cups, excellent company, should be able to not spring a leak. No reason to believe that my arms, my joint, my muscles won't work. No reason to believe that it'll slip out of my hand, condensation that never happened before. There are a whole list of things, beteva, in the natural order that support my confidence and notion that it's all going to go right, nothing will go wrong. But if you believe in Hashem, you know that there's no such thing as nature. What's natural becomes supernatural. What's ordinary is extraordinary, extraordinary, ordinary. Chazal, the Gemara, tells us the story of the great rabbi whose wife is crying because she doesn't have oil to light for Shabbos. So he says, take vinegar. She says, vinegar, vinegar doesn't ignite, it doesn't light. And he said, Misha'amar, the Shem and Vyidlok, the one who told oil to light, will tell the vinegar to light. You know what the difference is between oil and vinegar? We've come to expect oil to light. So we think it's natural. We think it's supposed to happen. We take it for granted. Whereas vinegar, vinegar is transcending the natural process. It doesn't make sense. Hashem can turn things over upside down and that which seems natural will not work out. So again, that only begs the question and reinforces the question. How do I know I can sip this cup of coffee safely? How do I know the 15 things that could go wrong won't go wrong? Why don't I get stuck? Why aren't I paralyzed and debilitated with fear and anxiety when I have to drink a cup of coffee? How is it that I'm able to make the coffee and drink it while being in conversation with another person and I don't even remember? I was so mindlessly and so calmly and confidently making and drinking the coffee that I actually made it and drank it and finished it and I don't remember one moment of it because I was so lost in listening or following to the morning news or in conversation with someone else. That's the level of confidence and calmness I have that everything's going to go right. But where does that come from? We just listed 15 things that could go wrong. And we just talked about even the natural order, which would reinforce and support the fact that it might go right, shouldn't. Because what is nature after all? That can be reversed and suspended. So why am I so calm and confident? Why don't I ever remember that process? Why am I, why, why am I able to sleep at night? I should be up the whole night gripped by fear that everything's going to go wrong that next morning when I make my cup of coffee. But it doesn't happen. Instead, we don't even think about it. Instead, it's second nature. Instead, it happens mindlessly and we don't even remember it. Because implicitly, without articulating it or communicating it, without even feeling it consciously, but implicitly, we are letting go and letting God. We're trusting in Hashem. I'm trusting in the history of sipping cups of coffee. I'm trusting in the logic that it will all go right. I'm trusting that the things of nature will continue to operate in the natural way. And therefore, I don't even need to think about it. I remain calm and I remain confident. I'm not gripped by panic or fear. I'm not debilitated or paralyzed by what could go wrong because everything reinforces the fact that it's going to go right, I let go and I let God. Kaddish Baruch is the one who drives the world. He made the rules of physics and chemistry. Kaddish Baruch is the one who created the history and the pattern of the cup of coffee going right. And just like I can, with confidence and calmness, and even mindlessness, go through my life and realize I've let go and I let God, Essentially, what he's trying to demonstrate is we let go and let God all over in our life. Again, I don't want to make you neurotic and ruin your day, but anyone here take medicine? I take medicines every day. Every time you put a pill in your mouth and swallow, how do you know there's no poison? How do you know it hasn't become contaminated? How do you know it's not going to harm you? How do you know the study's not going to come out that says that you just destroyed yourself? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? You buy food in the store. How do you know that it's not contaminated? How do you know it's not carrying coronavirus? When you walk across the street, how do you know you don't have a blind spot and you're not going to get run over? 
When you drive your car, how do you know the brakes aren't going to fail? How do you know anything in life? How do you know anything in life? Again, I hope I didn't just ruin everybody's day and now you're hiding under the bed and that's it. How do you know? Elamai, rather, what does it mean? It means, and what we're demonstrating, is that essentially, in so many areas and components of our lives, we are already living this aspiration. In so much, if not majority, the overwhelming majority of our lives, our behaviors, our actions, our patterns, our rituals, we are already living the life that says, I'm calm and I'm confident, I don't give a second thought, I don't worry, I don't panic, I'm not gripped or debilitated by fear or worry, but I let go and I let God. You know why? Because on the whole, people who take medicine don't find it's contaminated and poison and don't die. And statistically speaking, I'm fairly safe, therefore I choose not to think about it beyond that. But really, if you go to the layer beyond that, what you're saying is, the reason I'm not worried is because I'm letting go and I'm letting God. There's a spark of godliness in everything. In everything. There's a harmony and a peace and a serenity to the universe. I make informed and intelligent decisions and I do my best with them. And so, if, if I designate time, this is what Schwartz is saying, listen carefully. If I designate time every day, how often as you can, if I designate time to stop and to sit and to think these thoughts, I have a nugget. I have already a a precedent of being able to live this way. I don't need to create it yesh in something from nothing. I already have it in my life. All I need to do is expand upon it. All I need to do is apply it in other areas and in other place. It is the most liberating thing in the world. Instead of looking at others and being envious of what they have and desiring it, instead of being angry and losing your cool, instead of being arrogant and thinking you're in charge and you're in control, instead of feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, let go and let God. Now, I don't mean to suggest or say that because it's easy. I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that Yochavit and I are concerned and that we don't lie awake at night and ask ourselves, what will be? How will we pull off this wedding? How will we get to where we need to go? How will we quarantine effectively? Who from our family can be there safely? What will be? What will be? You're not human if those thoughts don't come to you, though I think we can control them. And if we don't have time to talk about this today, we'll pick up with it in Mirza Shem next week. We should never relinquish or forfeit our capacity to control our thoughts. Don't say, I can't. We can. We choose not to, but we also can choose to. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you those thoughts come to us, that we don't struggle with them. Of course we do. And that's where our shiurim and our support group come in. And that's where the mindfulness comes in. And that's where the thoughtfulness comes in. And that's where the consciousness comes in. And that's where designating that time to stop and to create partnerships and chavrusas in emuna, to create a chabura of emuna, to create societies of emuna that reinforce and that help us and support us to stop when those thoughts come and say, what are you doing? You've planned X, Y, and Z. You've taken precaution A, B, and C. We're doing the best in everything that we can. And what's, what's the panic or fear going to do? It's liberating. When you oh yeah, you know what? You're right. I forgot I believe in him. I forgot I teach about that and made a whole career out of that and got smicha and that and work on that for my whole life. Oh yeah, I forgot that I teach that. That's right, I also should live that. So, okay, we're going to institute A, B, and C, family lockdown, no kids are going to camp, let's stay safe until we can get to New York, quarantine in New York. Okay, we're doing everything we can, we're doing it right, and now that we've chosen, now that we've strategized, that's it, smile, let go, feel besimcha, take a weight off your shoulders, liberate yourself, be a million pounds lighter. Because there's a, you're right, if it were random and chance and you just wonder how the wheel, the roulette wheel is going to land and will it land on you, then you have every reason not to sleep. But if you remember, if you remember that the house is in charge of the, of the roll of that wheel 
and that he chooses who it lands on. And if it lands on you, it's for the best, and you'll get through it, and there's a way out, and it's meant to be. Then you're liberated. Let go and let God. You're a million pounds louder and lighter, and you're a million times happier. And you're not robbed of that serenity, the peace, the health, and all the other good things. I have seen several people start to go gray in four months from coronavirus. Me, it was too late. I can't blame coronavirus. But I have seen people start to go gray in three and four months. The worry, the panic, the anxiety, all natural and understandable, it is literally taking its toll on us. And I believe that for years to come, we will look back and measure and measure the negative impact of this time. I think there are people who will have PTSD when they wake up and realize, I didn't even go to the funeral of a loved one. I didn't set a proper shiva. I didn't have the celebration that I hoped and dreamt of. How I, people who lost someone overnight with no warning didn't get to say goodbye or visit a hospital. Or simply people who endured three, four, five months, we don't know how long this will go on, of uncertainty and of doubt, of panic. And it will take its long-term toll on us, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. We can control our thoughts. We can decide what we allow in. We can reframe and recalibrate and reorient our attitude and our paradigm. We can lean in and trust in Him and feel His love and His support and His guiding hand. That doesn't mean to act irresponsibly. Of course, we have a mandate and a mission. We have a responsibility to be careful and cautious in all that we do. But it doesn't have to have all that negative impact on us. And so... We're already a little bit over time. Oh, we'll do a few more minutes. If you want to hang up, we'll lose you. But we'll do a couple more minutes because I want to just finish this thought. If there weren't a spark within you that gave you the capacity to trust, then you could never have a cup of coffee. So what we've demonstrated so far is that if we can have enough confidence in our life to drink the cup of coffee, we already have the capacity within us to trust. So the most suspicious, the most cynical, the most skeptical, the most suspicious among us still cross the street, still ought to take out food, still swallow a pill of medicine, still drive a car, still do all kinds of things that demonstrate that even the most cynical, skeptical, doubtful among us still have areas of life where we have confidence, where we trust. Where we trust. Ki <laughs> So, betach, the opposite, you re rearrange those letters and you get a smack, you get a patch. If you don't have bitachon, if you don't have faith, if you don't have confidence, if you don't have the ability to operate, if you don't have the capacity to live, you're knocked down. You're knocked down. So, they're opposites. Those letters can spell trust and confidence, those letters can spell getting knocked down. And if you don't trust, you're neurotic. I will never get on an airplane, I don't get in a car, I don't get in a train. People who have phobias, it's a form of a mental illness. It's mental illness to have a phobia that's illogical and irrational because you're not capable or confident in anything around you. It knocks you down, it's a pachinponim. It's a smackdown. And the opposite is betach, bitachon, the capacity to trust, have faith. It's a world of randomness, and light and dark are operating in a mixture. Those people have phobias, agoraphobia, people who are afraid of being in public, social settings, people who are afraid of public speaking, people who are afraid of heights, people who are afraid of cars and planes and trains, people who are afraid of, afraid of, afraid of, that they're robbed of their life. 
That's a fear. So what is the opposite of being robbed of life because you're living in grip by fear? Is having trust and confidence. I did my research, I'm confident, and therefore there's nothing wrong with traveling in a car, taking the medicine, ordering the takeout, even jumping out of a plane. I've jumped out of a plane twice, it's fantastic. It's much less dangerous than driving on I-95 in Florida, where all you see are fingers on top of a steering wheel and that's all you see. It is much less dangerous statistically. You do your research, you make informed decisions, and once you do, you can live with confidence. You don't have to be gripped by a phobia or fear that robs you of your life, literally, literally paralyzes you. You ever look at a skyscraper and you say, am I insane to go into that building? What's holding it up? It could topple over, one strong wind. You ever get in an elevator and you say, a few strings are holding the elevator up? Again, anyone who's nervous should not be listening to this class. It'll make things worse, not better. But how do you get into an elevator? How do you walk into a skyscraper? How do you step into a car? The point is throughout our lives, a million times a day, a million times a day, we are trusting. How do you take a step outside your home and not believe there's gonna be a sinkhole and you're gonna follow the path of Korach to oblivion? There are no shortage of things that could go wrong on any given day. So how do you get out of bed? How do you open your eyes? How do you start your day? How do you live with calmness or confidence in anything? Because we make informed decisions. And among those informed decisions is to know that there is a Hashem and He runs the world. And let go. Liberate yourself. Unburden yourself. And find the happiness that we deserve. So thank you for joining for our support group. It's good to see everybody. You should live with Amuna, and then we can live with happiness, holiness, and good health. See everybody tonight on Behind the Bima. Wishing you a fantastic, fantastic day.